Tonight I'm going to teach something I haven't really taught a lot of before, um, and it's but it's in the scripture and it's something that we need to know as Christians, and it's about the abominations, and a, a subtitle is divination and the occult, and I wanted to really teach on that so people had a clear understanding the difference between the gifts of the Spirit and other things that people dabble in, which they don't even know how dangerous they are or what they're getting themselves into. So the focus scripture for tonight is from Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 10. And it says, There shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. So we won't be able to cover all of those tonight. In fact, we probably will only get to the first, uh, the main one, which is divination. And I wanted to, to have everyone have a clear understanding what the scripture is talking about with divination. And what is the difference between divination and prophecy. Uh, but the Lord calls all these things abominations and you know, uh, we'll touch on some of them, but tonight our main uh, topic will be uh, divination. But in upcoming Bible studies, I will get into it. Now he says, he speaks about passing your child through the fire. And what that is talking about was child sacrifice. In that day and in that area, they were doing child sacrifice. In fact, one of the kings of Israel, Manasseh, sacrificed his son. And you would think there couldn't be anything worse than that, but that's what he did. He sacrificed his child to the god Molech. And God calls that an abomination. In fact, one of the most surprising scriptures in the whole Bible references this. It's three times in the book of Jeremiah. God says, it did not enter my mind that this would happen, that people would do that. They would sacrifice their own children. Amen. And the next thing he calls an abomination is divination. And we're going to really get into that tonight and try and draw a bright line between that and prophecy. And then he speaks about an observer of time. What that's speaking about is astrology. Astrology, and we'll cover that too. But... Uh, God calls that an abomination. We won't get into that one tonight. And then an enchanter or a charmer. And then he says a witch or a wizard or those that deal with familiar spirits. And we will touch on that, but we'll have to do a whole Bible study on that. And then the last one, necromancy. So tonight what we're going to look at is mainly divination. And I wanted to start off with a definition, uh, two definitions, a more modern definition and then a biblical definition of divination. Well, as you can think about, the word comes from the origin of the word divine. It's from the Latin word um, divar, which 
uh, speaking about someone who tries to foresee or foretell or to predict or to prophesy. In the Wikipedia definition, it says, is the attempt to gain insight into a question or situation by way of an occultic practice or process used in various forms throughout history. Diviners ascertain their interpretations of how uh, a querent, and that means someone who comes to them, should proceed by reading signs, events, or omens, or through alleged contact with a supernatural agency. So that's the Wikipedia definition. In Baker's Evangelical uh, Dictionary, it says, communication with a deity for the purpose of determining the deity's knowledge, resulting in clarification of a decision or discernment of the future. And they go into a lot more detail, which I'm not going to go into. Two forms of divination developed in the ancient Near East, one using inductive manipulation of natural or human phenomena. By that, they're talking about um, liver entrails or chicken entrails or things like that. And the other was um, inner revelation. Well, we're not going to get into too much depth there because the Bible deliberately doesn't really tell us too much about how they went about practicing these occult um, things. So divination, though, in its, in its full form is, is, is claiming to be inspired, and I put by a God, not the God, a God. And that's the clue to the real difference between prophecy and divination. So these things are real, uh, and we see many accounts in Scripture of the reality of of that, but there are some limitations, and I will I will get to them. So th- let me give you an example. One of the things that they used in that is shown in the Bible is uh, Nebuchadnezzar when he was wanting to attack um, the land of Palestine. He was trying to decide should he attack Jerusalem first or go the other way. And the prophet uh, Ezekiel was given a vision of how he was going to decide how he was going to do. And the prophet was laid out what the king of Babylon was going to do in Ezekiel 21. Uh, 21. It says, For the king of Babylon will stop at the fork in the road, at the junction of two roads, to seek an omen. He will cast lots with arrows. He will consult his idols. He will examine the liver. And that was one of the things that was used in divination, was liver entrails. And I've, I've put a, uh, a description, you know, they, they would put different, different um, uh, pronunciations depending on what part of the liver was redder than the other and many other things. And so they used these things to decide how they were going to proceed. Into his right hand will come the lot for Jerusalem, where he's to set up battering rams, to give the command to slaughter, to sound the battle cry, to set battering rams. And in this case, Ezekiel was prophesying this was what Nebuchadnezzar would do. God was going to allow them to choose to attack Jerusalem. So the question again is, what is the difference between divination and prophecy? Don't they both try and foretell the future? Well, let's look at another example. In this example, you saw that King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, they took their quiver of arrows and they would cast them. And the way the arrow fell pointed the ones that that were pointing to this road rather than that road. Plus, looking at the liver entrails would give them a clue. The diviners and the soothsayers would then come and advise the king which way to go. Now, in the Old Testament, though, we see that um, there was also something that sounded a lot like divination, 
Let's look at that. 1 Samuel 23, 9. And it says, And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. And so he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring hither the ephod. Now if you remember what the ephod was, it was the breastplate of the high priest with the twelve stones set in it, with the jeweled clasps. And it formed a pocket, and inside of that pocket were two stones called the Urim and the Thunim. And Israel was able to go to the, to the high priest and inquire of the Lord, and the high priest, after praying, would pull out one of the stones. And if it was, you could form your, your question, your, your request in the form of a question, yes and no. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Kilah to destroy the city for my sake. Here's the question. Will the men of Kilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down? Here's the second question. As thy servant hath heard, O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant, and the Lord said, he will come down. Now, when it says the Lord said, what they're saying is that the high priest reached into the ephod and he pulled out the stone, which gave a yes or no answer. It wasn't that David heard the voice of the Lord, but God allowed uh, this use of the Urim and the Thummim because of Israel's total um, not being holy. He couldn't come close to them. So this was the method during this time that God used to, um, to, to, to communicate. But we shall see that it caused a lot of problems because this was so close to what the seers would do with divination, right? They would do something very similar. Brother Joe. Pastor, when it comes to the human and the human, were they based on color? Were they or, based on what? Or determining true or not? Sorry, I didn't get your question. Were, were they based on color, determining if it was yes or well, no? Well, the, the tradition says that, the, that it would glow. It would light up supernaturally that one of the stones would glow, and that's the one that he would know which one to give the answer. That's what uh, the tradition says, that the stones would glow, and they would know that. So we see, in this case, the difference between what Nebuchadnezzar did, which was throwing the, the lots with the arrows and looking at liver entrails, doesn't seem a whole lot different from what David did, going to the priest and pulling out stones. So what's the difference? Why is one divination and the other one not? Anyone? Absolutely. You didn't watch me write this, did you? It's the source. That makes the difference. It's the source that makes one divination and an abomination and the other not. And God allowed them to use this method of communication with him because they were unclean. God didn't want to deal with them directly. And so temporarily he used this method of the ephod. So many times in scripture when it says they inquired of the Lord, this is, this is how God would deal with them. But the trouble is, because this was so close to being divination, it became divination. And God had to take it away. So we see in Numbers that God had set this up, Numbers 27.1, And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest. That means when someone had a question, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of the Urim before the Lord 
at his word shall they go out, and at his word shall they come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. So at the time of Moses and Aaron, when this was set up, this was how God dealt with Israel to give them direction. Someone had a question, they would come, and the high priest would, would follow this, this uh, method. And um, it's believed that one had an aleph and the other one, um, the, the Hebrew letter for a cross or a tall. And so they would they are, would glow, and they the names of them means revelation and truth. And we see that this is what David did uh, when Saul was coming to to attack him. He used the, he went to the high priest Abiathar and asked him to use the ephod to decide what was going to happen. And of course, when the message came that Saul was going to come and get him if he stayed in Kyla, he left. He was forewarned what was going to happen through the, through the ephod. But the problem with this ephod was that it was so close to div- divination and the practices that other uh, nations were doing that when Israel backslid, that's what it turned into. Div- divination. God had warned them many times not to follow the, the other gods, little g, the fallen beings. In fact, in Deuteronomy 8.19 it says, And it shall be if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk, walk after other gods. There are other gods, little g. Other beings that were given rulership through man's sinful fall of different nations. If you, if you go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. In Deuteronomy 4.19, God again warns him and says, Unless thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun, moon, and the stars, even all the host of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and to serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. It goes on to say in another part, But Israel hath he reserved unto himself. He, he turned the rest of the nations, because they rebelled, over to these fallen beings and let let them, little gods, be over them. But Israel was not to go after that. They were to follow him. Deuteronomy 17.3 And hath gone and served other gods, little g, and worshipped them, either the sun or the moon or any of the host of heaven, which I have not commanded. So the divination by these other nations was not to Jehovah God, but it was to their beings, little g God. And Israel sometimes when they went into backslidden uh, worship, they would go after Baal and Ashtoreth and Moloch and all of these gods or beings of these other nations. You see, the other difference between divination and prophecy is that one comes from God and the other one is sought by man. You'll see that true prophecy is always initiated by God. Divination is mostly initiated by man. It's because we want to find out something. But when it's prophecy, it comes freely from God. Let's look at this. In the scripture, I just put just a few places where God decided to initiate something, and therefore it was prophecy. Genesis 15.1 And after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, and saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Genesis 15, 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, 
This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And so on and so forth. Every time prophecy came, it came by way of the word of the Lord. It was something that was initiated by God. That's another difference between divination and occult practices and the true word from God because God initiates it, not man. And I'm going to show you that. Now, this thing with the ephod kept on for several hundred years to the time of Gideon. And God called Gideon and used him to win a mighty victory over the Midianites. And sometimes, just after we've just done a great thing for God, is when actually we are ripe for the plucking. And this is what happened to Gideon. After he defeated 300,000 of the Midianites, Israel came and his men came and they started to gather up all of the riches of the Midianites. And he had a good idea. Let's take all of this money and this gold and melt it and let's make a new, brand new ephod. Let's make a brand new ephod. Gideon, after defeating the Midianites, he collects great spoil and gold and remakes an ephod, a breastplate with the, with the jewels and with the two stones. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. This, this was 42 pounds of gold, this thing he made. Very impressive. Now what he should have done was he should have then given that to the priest who were the only ones who were supposed to be able to use the ephod for inquiring of the Lord. But instead, he kept it and put it in a city, you know, where he could run it. And Gideon made a, uh, a let me start from uh, Judges 8.26, and the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold besides ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian. And besides the chains that were about the camel's necks, he'd, he'd won a great victory, not because of himself, but because of God's mercy. You know, remember this story. And so now they collect up all of this gold, and he decides to make this ephod. Now, really, you have to ask, why did he even decide to do that? He never chose himself. God was the one who first called him. Remember I said the difference between divination and prophecy is God usually... Uh, initiates prophecy. He's, he calls. He calls Samuel. In fact, Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And, e and Gideon made an ephod and put it in his city. Do you see what's happening here? It should have been given to the priests if that was what he, he wanted to do. He put it in his city, even in Ophrah, and all Israel went thither a whoring after. It became an object of worship, an object of divination. Which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. So even at our highest is when the devil sometimes will want to come and bring us into a trap. So this was a case where this thing, because it was very similar to divination, except from whom the source of the answers came, became a trap to Israel, and in fact, God had to destroy it. The same thing happened with the brazen serpent. It became an object of worship and of, 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 of occult, and it had to be destroyed. So Gideon made an ephod, and he destroyed. in the end, it was, a, it was a snare because they started to use it 
for divination. So let me recap. Divination then is usually initiated by man. True prophecy is initiated by God. Remember all those scriptures that said the word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came. Divination seeks a predetermined outcome. When someone goes to the, it's because they want a, spe a specific answer. They're looking for a specific outcome. They're not saying, Lord, whatever your will be. That's another difference between divination and prophecy is that divination is looking for my will to be done. That's the difference, one of the differences. True prophecy is always open to God's direction. Lord, what is your will? What is your will for my future? Didn't he say in Jeremiah, I know the thoughts I have for you and the, the, the plans I have for you for an expected outcome. And this is why divination is, when we're asking about the future in that sense, is, is not a good thing. It's because really what we're saying is, God, you don't know what you're doing. I have a better plan. If we trust God, then divination is not something that we are going to go to. Now, we're going to look at a real example in Scripture. And this is interesting. When the children of Israel were coming through the land of um, the Moabites, Balak, who was a prince of Moab, decided, he saw what had happened in Egypt, he saw all of the plagues, he saw what had happened, he thought, you know what, we can't fight these people normally. We have to get some spiritual help. So he went to Balaam, who was a diviner, who was into this occult stuff. I want you to come and curse Israel. Let's look at this story. Well, first of all, outside of the Bible, we can see some interesting things. And I'm going I'm to tell you some things maybe different from what you've heard before. It would seem at first that Balak is, uh, Balaam sorry, is a prophet of the Lord, right? It would seem if you read it, he's talking to God. He's talk, he says, I can't go unless God says I can go. But there's some strange things about the story because when he does go, it seems that God, after telling him he could go, is stopping him going. You ever saw that in this story? That after he started to go, the angel of the Lord was going to kill him for going. But if you read a few verses, so there's something about that story that doesn't make sense. And I'm going to try and explain it to you tonight. So some years ago, in 1967, they discovered a writing that had been buried and it is a book about Balaam and it really goes into some interesting detail. One of the things it, it highlights is there, it says that Balaam's God is not, um, Elohim, is not um, Jehovah. When it says God, we'll, we'll see that he's not speaking about Jehovah. And if you understand that, then the rest of the story will begin to make sense uh, because the writing made it clear that his that he was worshiping some other gods. And we're going we're gonna to go into that tonight. So let's read it in Numbers 22.5. So the prince of the Moabites, his name is um, Balak, comes to send a message to Balaam to come and curse Israel. He sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people. Now, Balaam, the word Balaam actually means foreigner. So although he was living there, he was not 
of the Moabites. He was not of the Moabites. He was probably Persian. Um, I won't go into all of that tonight, but just from his name, when you break it down, it means that he was a, a foreigner there. So they said to him, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they covered the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse this people. Curse me, this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure, I shall prevail, and we may smite them, that I may drive them out the land. For I want that he whom thou blessed is blessed, and he whom thou cursed is cursed. So he had a reputation of being able to uh, marshal some spiritual effects. And so Balak sent to him. Now, you can tell that this was not normal um, prophet of God because the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian came with rewards for, what does it say? Divination in their hand. Let's read it a little bit more. We're going to see who it is that Balak is actually talking to. Now, Numbers 22.8. Now, i got to point out something to you in Scripture, that when it says Elohim, Elohim is a general name for God. It's not a specific name for God. And as you can see from there, it can mean rulers, judges, divine one, angels, God's little g, as well as God Jehovah. But Jehovah is the specific name. Elohim just means God's, God. It can mean many things. So now, when you understand that and you read the, the story now, I'm going to point out some things to you. In Numbers 22, 8, and he said unto them, he told the people that it came, stay here tonight, I will bring you word again as the Lord, and when it's capitalized, it's speaking to Jehovah. So he's telling them, I'm going to speak to Jehovah, that God, to ask him permission. But then, I shall speak unto, I shall speak unto Jehovah, and the princes of Moab decided, okay, we'll wait the night. You go speak to Jehovah if that's who you're going to speak to. But verse 9, now look at verse 9. It doesn't say Jehovah, does it? It says God. And this time it's Elohim. So he told them he was going to speak to Jehovah, but who he's actually speaking to is God, little g. Are you following me? You following me? You see how it changes from Lord to God. And as I said, Elohim does not necessarily mean Jehovah. And you can tell this is not Jehovah because he doesn't know why these people are here. And God, little g, came unto Balaam and said, what men are these with thee? I think Jehovah would already know. And Balaam said unto God, little g, Balak the son of, he has to explain to God, little g, why these men have come. And he's telling them the whole story. And God said to Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them, thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Now this God, little g, knows that big g won't let him do it. <laughs> I'm sorry, that I find that so funny. So he tells Balak, you can't do it. They're, they're, I'm not God over them, you can't, you can't curse them. And but the, but But you know the story, Balak won't give up. He keeps coming and saying, look, you've got to do something. He said, well, all I can do is go back to my God, little G, and keep asking him. So finally, little G says, okay, you can go, but still don't say anything, because I'll get in trouble with big G. Just say what I say. So Balaam rose up 
in the morning and said unto the princes of Balaam, get, you on, get into your land for the Lord. Now he's saying Jehovah is going to do it. Refuseth to give me or, or um, I put in my, that's my lettering, my God leave to go with you. What he's saying is I can't do it because Jehovah said no. Numbers 22, 20. So they, they keep bothering him and he finally keeps asking his God and God, and I put little God, came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, if the men come to thee, rise up and go with them. But, he, but yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. Now the story makes more sense because now it's Jehovah who is saying, no, you can't go. Do you see that? The, and God's anger, and this time it is referring to Jehovah because in the same sentence of the Hebrew, it plainly says it was the Lord, capital letters. So now the story makes sense because before it would seem that Jehovah told him to go and then Jehovah was going to kill him for going. But it's because he's speaking personally about his own God and using the word Elohim when he's speaking about that. But Jehovah or Lord when he's speaking about the God of Israel. And so we see, in this case, who initiated this? It was man. That's what I'm saying about divination. It wasn't, this didn't come from God. This was man's idea. We want you to go and do something for us. So divination, though, can never work against God's people. And you know the story. Every place he went to try and curse Israel... Even his little G told him, you can't do it because I'll get in trouble with big G. Numbers 23, 18, he took up this parable and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear, hearken unto me, thou son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall not do it? Or hath he spoken and he shall not make it good? Behold, I have received a commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. This reminds me of... Who said that? Who else said something like this? Anyone remember? Isaac. When he was blessing Jacob and Esau came and said, can't you do something? He said, no, I can't. I have blessed and I cannot re I tell you what, if we understood the blessing of God on our lives, yes, we're going to be going through the wilderness. All Israel didn't even know what was going on. They had no idea this spiritual battle was going on. They didn't even have a clue about it. And yet there was this battle going on in the spirit world to who was going to be able to curse them. And the answer is it cannot be done. Because if you are a spirit-filled believer, the Bible says we are sealed. And verse 20, Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Surely there is no enchantment. And this is the proof now that Balaam was not some prophet of God. Because he was dabbling in the occult. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob. And he, he, he admits it. Neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time it shall be said of Jacob of, of Israel. What hath God wrought? Taken them out of Egypt. Taken us out of sin. And formed a new nation. Numbers 24, 1. And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord, after doing this, trying to curse him so many times, and you notice it changes who he's speaking to again. It says, Lord, now it's Jehovah again, to bless Israel. He went not at his other time to seek for enchantments. 
he was doing all his cursing and what he was trying with occult practices, with all the stuff that we are not going to talk about of what they do. But he didn't give up, and later on we find out that he was able to deal Israel a very big blow, but not through occult, but through people. Remember what I was saying, I'm not afraid of spirits, but people can do you damage. And because he couldn't curse Israel through divination or through the occult, what he told um, Balak to do is, tell you what, you dress up all your pretty women and send them into the camp of Israel. And you know that worked. That worked. And it it took a a few thousand of, 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 of the Jews and turned them against God. They became idolatrous. So what he couldn't do with divination and with with spiritual warfare he was able to do through people. Let's look at this again. And uh, again, I'm trying to show you the difference between divination and prophecy. Remember now, divination is always started by people. Prophecy is initiated by God. Let's look at another example. There are so many. When God rejected Saul and wouldn't speak to him, Saul decided he was going to have to find out what was going to happen. Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, and we'll go into that next time, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. Again, who is initiating this? Saul, yes. This is not God's plan. Then said the woman, Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice, and the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? Because he was pretending not to be Saul. For thou art Saul. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid for what thou sawest. And the woman said unto Saul, I saw little G's, gods. Remember what I was saying, that most of these divination and stuff is to do with spirit beings, the little G's, not God Almighty. I saw little G's, gods, ascending out of the earth. So we see again that divination always starts with man. It's us wanting to find out something that maybe we're not supposed to. When the disciples asked Jesus, finally, what what day is the rapture? (laughs) He said, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the, the exact day of the rapture. The Father has reserved that. He says, even the angels don't know. In fact, he said, even in my flesh on earth, I cannot know. Now that's something, isn't it? So there's not everything we're to know. What we are commanded to do is trust. We're commanded to trust. The Bible says our life is hid in Christ. And that's why divination and reading your horoscope, the Bible says all of that stuff is an abomination. Because what it's saying is, I want to find out for me. I don't, I don't really trust you. And what you're saying is, I'm not letting you control my life. I want to control it. So how does God speak? Well, in the Old Testament we see it said the word of the Lord came. That's how God spoke. The word of the Lord came. And that's how God man, uh, manifested in many ways. And we know who the word of the Lord is, right? Because in John 1.1 1, 1, it says the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten. So how does God speak? How does true prophecy come? 
Hebrews 1, 1 says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by prophets hath these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. In the Old Testament, God did speak in some strange ways. Anyone want to be a prophet in the Old Testament? Let's look at this prophet. God told him, this is what I want you to do. I want to speak to Israel through you, but you're going to act it out. You're going to have to act it out. Take unto thee wheat and barley and beans and lentils and millet and fitches and put them in one vessel and make thee bread thereof according to the number of days that thou shalt lie upon thy side. Three hundred and ninety days shalt thou eat thereof. That's on the menu for the next year and a bit. That's all you're going to eat. And I want you to lie on your side most of the day for 390 days. That's what Ezekiel was commanded to do. And thy meat which thou shalt eat shall be by weight 20 shekels a day from time to time shalt thou eat. And thou shalt drink also water by measure. Do you understand that, that, that this was not something that Ezekiel initiated? This was coming from God. And when God speaks, sometimes what he asks us or what he says is not make sense to us. Thou shalt eat it as barley cakes, thou shalt bake it with dung that cometh out of man in their sight. He was to cook the food using excrement to make the fire. I don't mean, I don't mean to mix it in, but to make the fire. So... That could not have smelled very good or been very appetizing. What was God trying to speak to them? You see, they were used to these strange things because that's how their God spoke to them, a very strange thing. So God decided he would do a really strange thing to really make them, what's going on here? And the Lord said, even thus shall the children of Israel eat their defiled bread amongst the Gentiles Whither I will drive them. God was trying to make a point. See, this is what's going to happen if you don't change. But this was the only way because they were used to that kind of, that's how they interacted with these strange rites with these other gods. So God actually, in this case, spoke to them in the same way. Aren't you glad you're not an Old Testament prophet? Yes. Amen. I don't know. Could you repeat that? Um, because you were not in the mic. I'm thinking of um, a prophet that the Lord told that he was going to take his wife and that he should not cry over his wife or mourn or show any emotions. He's like to not even let it face him. Do you still want to be a prophet? Remember what I taught on Sunday, the fact that Paul, probably his wife, had died. And he had gone on all of those journeys just himself. I don't think I, I could do it. Sister Browning. Yeah. Another prophet we, we um, recently um, was studying. Hosea. Uh, Hosea, who had to marry a, a, a harlot. And um, I think... Um, yeah, was told to leave her and um, 
when when the prophet said, you know, um, when when God spoke to the pro- prophet and he said, well, how come you want me to just give up, replace Israel, and yet you, being human, have a, a wife that I told you to marry and fell in love with, and you're not supposed to feel anything. That's how I feel towards Israel. See, God used some of the things that are in the Old Testament because that's that's all the people understood. Let's go back. It says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. But sometimes their, their prophecy was not verbal. They acted it out, Sister Alexis. Aaron's two sons, in, uh, I think it was in Exodus, that is shocked the crap out of me when I read it. I was like, what? They brought the wrong incense, and God's holy fire burnt them, both of his sons up and told him he wasn't allowed to bury them, and he wasn't allowed to mourn them. Yes. And I was like... Yes, that's another one, yes, that because they sinned, they, 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 they treated the holiness of God like haphazardly, they took fire that hadn't come from the the right altar, strange fire, and because of that they died. And then Aaron was told he couldn't mourn them because he was high priest. And that's why 2,000 years later, when the high priest ripped his garments, that was a sign of the end of the law because the high priest was never to mourn or show mourning. So, God in the Old Testament used, tried to use whatever way he could to reach Israel. When we get up there, no one can accuse him of not trying. He's tried verbally. He's tried through uh, earthquakes. He's tried through prophets acting out. And then lastly, he came himself and came back from the grave. And people still don't believe. But in the New Covenant... He hasn't stopped trying. It says, God in various times, in various ways, spoke in time past to the Father by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. And now he's speaking to us because through the Comforter. He says, I'm with you, but I'm going to be in you. In the Old Testament, there were three major channels of of God speaking. We, We talked about them. Dreams, the Urim and the Thummim, and then through the prophets. And it's still there are three channels today. Let's look at it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 16, on the day of Pentecost, um, Peter is saying, that this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, and will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So we still have revelation and truth. But now it's not the stone that was in the bag, it's the, it's the God's writing on our hearts. If we listen, the Holy Spirit is there to get, lead us into all truth. You know, that's what the Holy Spirit replaces is the Urim and the Thummim. The two stones were called revelation and truth. John 16, 13, how be it, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. The two stones could not speak, but they answered the question by which one glowed. The Holy Spirit is here to answer our questions, except we are asking someone else. 
We don't believe that God can speak to us in the still small voice. And so we're looking at horoscopes, we're looking at Ouija boards and other things that we're not supposed to be messing with. And I'll get into that on another Bible study. It says he will show you things to come. Do you understand that God can show you things to come? When Paul was going to Jerusalem, the prophet Agabus came and took his girdle and tied him up and said, this is, how, this is what's going to happen to you when you go to Jerusalem. Now, it wasn't to change the future. Remember what I said, that the difference between divination is to try and get our own way. We want to change the future. Paul said, listen, nothing moves me. God has already, people reading that think that Paul disobeyed the spirit, but I beg to differ. Because when he was in prison in, in, in Jerusalem, God appeared in the prison and told him, Paul, you did the right thing. I'm going to be with you all the way because we're, we're going to go speak to Nero personally. All that prophecy was doing was letting him know what was going to happen. So he was not surprised. He was not surprised. We try and change God's plan for our life. Sometimes that ends up causing problems. I didn't put it in here, but let me tell you a story. The prophet came to Hezekiah and said, you're going to die. So get your things together. God, God told me to let you know. He's given you, you know, a few days. You're going to die. Hezekiah prayed and prayed and said, God, no, I don't want to die. Please change that. Change your plan. And just like parents, sometimes we know what's best for our children. But they get to us and we, okay, fine. And God told the prophet, go and I'm going to extend him 15 more years. But in that time, Hezekiah did some foolish things. The next year when he was now fully recovered, instead of being dead, when the Nebuchadnezzar sent some ambassadors to come to visit he did a foolish thing. He went and took them and showed them all the treasures of his house and of the temple. And of course, they went back to Babylon and reported on him. Sometimes, sometimes, God's will is best. And that's why we always, the New Testament tells us, we should pray according to his will. According to his will. Just because he tells us something is going to happen doesn't necessarily mean, because let's look at Jesus as an example. He knew exactly what was going to happen. That he had come for this cause, came I. Did he try and change it? No, he said, Lord, if, if it be possible, let this cup, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will. This is the difference between Prophecy and revelation and divination. Divination will always want to get our own way. I want to do this particular thing. Will I be successful? And that's why God had to get rid of the ephod because it was turning right into that. And eventually that's exactly what happened when Gideon made one. And instead of giving it to the priests, he kept it in his city. The Bible is very specific. And because of that, it became a snare. They started to use it as a you know, magic box. If I play these numbers, will I win the lotto? <laughs> Come on now. If you had a magic box that would tell you the, 
yes and no, we'd all be tempted to do that, wouldn't we? If I play my birthday numbers, will this win the lotto? And that's what happened. And the Bible says it became a snare to Gideon's house. We still have Urim and Thummim, but now it's not in the bag of the ephod. It's supposed to be in our heart when we get the Holy Spirit. He will show you things to come. But the trouble is, we're looking for the answers somewhere else. It's like the story I told about the voice, right? When we're told to let go, we want to go to someone else. Just like Balak, he would not accept that Balaam could not curse Israel. He just kept on thinking, if I give him more money, if we go to this next high place, if we sacrifice this, that'll work. But you cannot go around God's plan. It's never a good thing to be in God's permissive will instead of his perfect will. Revelation 4.1 After this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven. Here's prophecy in the New Testament. And the first voice which I heard as it were of a trumpet talking to me said come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now was this John's initiation? No. Again, I'm showing you the difference between divination and prophecy. And immediately, I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on it. You could stand with me. So, I'll teach. The, we only got through divination. There was all that other stuff, familiar spirits, necromancy, all that other stuff. We're going to do this in several other Bible studies to come. But I wanted to to talk about divination so you had a clear understanding what's the difference between that and prophecy because they seem so similar. But number one, the source makes a big difference. Where are you getting that from? It better be from the Holy Spirit. Because Satan knows a lot of stuff. He can tell you all kinds of stuff. He can tell you all kinds of stuff. In the New Testament, and I did not put that in here, uh, we we are told about the, the woman that was making profit Because she was able to tell all kinds of stuff. We know that the occult is real. We know that Pharaoh was able to call his magicians and they were able to make their rod turn into a snake. But, of course, Moses' snake ate up Pharaoh's snake. Big G will always beat up little G. (laughs) Amen. And immediately I was in the spirit. Behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Where you get your revelation from is better be from that one. Not from the many gods that the witch of Endor saw ascending. That's not where we get revelation from. That means that if it always comes from God, we should always be in a listening Lord, speak to me. Isn't that what it says in Revelation? Let those that have an ear to hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Isaiah 30 verse 21 says, "And And thine ear shall hear a word behind thee saying. The trouble is, most of the time, we really don't want to hear what God is telling us to do. Because we don't like it. We don't want to do it. It's not what we want. But if we're quiet, just like Samuel, and say, speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. Remember what I said in the Bible study that the, the church at Antioch was ministering to the Lord. 
They minister. We think the Lord is supposed to minister to us, but the church at Antioch, before the big revival broke out, it said because they were ministering to the Lord and fasting and praying. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. But if he be led of the Spirit, he are not under the law. We've got to listen to that still, small voice. 1 Kings 19.11, and this is the last slide. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And you can always tell when it's Jehovah, because it's capitalized Lord. If it's G-O-D, then you, you can't tell. You have to go by context. You have to go by context. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains of breaking pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. After this event, Elijah's ministry changed completely. And I'll, I know I've taught on that before. But after this event, his, his ministry totally changed. Because he represented John the Baptist. And his ministry after this point changed to one of grace. He wasn't calling fire down anymore on people. Because he had learned something. Amen. So I hope tonight you have been blessed. Prophecy comes from God. Divination starts from what we want. And what we want to hear. But we have to listen. And the Bible has absolutely promised us. That when the spirit of truth comes. He will lead you into all truth. So we should be listening just like Samuel. Speak Lord. For your servant here. If there's something you do really want to know. And what I want to know is that I'm in his will. I don't care what he wants me to do as long as I know it's he who wants me to do it. If I can know that, I can move forward in confidence, even if it's something horrible, if I'm sure that it's what he wants me to do. And that's what we need tonight, that whatever we do, the Bible says in word or deed, do all in what? The name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. So we're going to pray, and uh, tomorrow we are taking off for a little bit, so pray for us that God will give us a, a great time. Our plan is on Sunday to be in the same church on the same day that we were married 45 years ago. So we're... It just so happens that the 26th is a Sunday this year and we'll be at our, what Sister Brownie's home church uh, on that day. So pray for us that the Lord blesses us and uh, keeps us and we'll be hurrying back to see you all. Amen. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we just thank you tonight for your word. Lord, help us, Lord, to be listening like Samuel. Lord, that you can speak to us. That we can be your servant. Lord, we ask to let your Holy Spirit surround us as we walk in this world. Lead us and guide us, Lord. Let our faith rise to meet your word and your promises. We thank you because you have never failed. Lord, you cannot fail. Help us, O oh God, to just remember that, Lord God. To trust in you. To lean not to our own understanding. And to give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Let's give God a praise offering. Hallelujah.